You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, my. Biden and the people around him that are actually calling the shots are showing us with each passing day what they're all about, aren't they? This is the very radical left administration that we were worried about. And now it's just a question of how much damage can they do? How much can we stop them before they do irreparable damage to not just the economy, but to America as we know it? The fundamental transformation promised by Obama is now in its third term with the Biden administration. And Joe Biden is up for the challenge of just being an empty suit, being a puppet that has other people directing him uh, to do things all the time. But doesn't it also feel like the federal government is printing money 24-7? I mean, we made light of President Biden being the $6 trillion man this past week, but behind that is a real set of problems. Did you know that about 20% of all U.S. dollars were created in 2020? That's a staggering statistic. What do you think the effect of all those newly printed dollars will be? Inflation, maybe, right? It certainly is not going to lead to the dollar becoming more valuable. In the past, people have purchased gold and silver as a hedge against inflation and the currency manipulations of a central bank. That's because gold and silver have increased in value as the purchasing power of the dollar declines. Buying real gold and silver, the kind you can actually hold in your hands, is a lot easier than you think. You can actually have it delivered securely and privately to your home. It's just as easy to put real gold and silver in your IRA or 401k, too. If you're concerned about the value of the dollar continuing to decrease, I know I am, and the risk of inflation, call the Oxford Gold Group today at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the industry leader in precious metals. They offer real gold and silver for the lowest prices, and they have a free precious metals investment guide they can send to you. Call the Oxford Gold Group today at 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. They'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide. You said it perfectly because what the Biden administration wants to do is completely redesign the United States of America in a way that's contrary to the Constitution. The United States was designed so that each state would be able to have its own design. Texas is the perfect example of why we need to have states be different because Texas ranks number one in pretty much every economic category. Texas has a governor who understands what's going on here. He's got Ron DeSantis envy, but that's a good thing. I I want him trying to be a competitor for DeSantis as the best governor in America right now. I want more red state governors to step up. There's room for it. And Abbott is speaking truth here about how the left wants to fundamentally transform the country. He understands that they are undermining some of the most essential components of our American experience and American freedom. And yet we have also the left saying that all of this, all these efforts to push it back are somehow anti-anti-racism, right? That the left-wing project of convincing the American people to think first and foremost always about their race And that race has to be an influencing factor in all government decisions, in all socioeconomic everything. Race has to be taken into account and balanced and and uh, judged by the woke. That's the whole point of all this, right? That's what we're told is necessary. 
Well, there are some people who are fighting back. And, and in the state of Texas, in South Lake, which is a suburb, I believe it's northwest of Dallas, pretty well off suburb. Uh, there was a victory in the school board election there that's getting some national attention. Now, usually school board elections are not something that you'd start a nationally syndicated radio show with hundreds and hundreds of stations across the country on. But this matters because I think people have woken up to the fact, pardon the expression, that unless we start taking action, we're just going to keep losing and we're losing things in our society that are precious for all of us for your children for your grandchildren the marxist left is going for it right now they are actually on the march and in power and they are trying to transform the country and they're doing this through education they're doing this through economic policy and race as a as a tool of dividing the american people is a central weapon in their arsenal. So they're trying to teach kids that this is the way the country has to be. You'll recall a few weeks ago, there was Paul Rossi, the math teacher at Grace Church, who wrote for the Barry Weiss uh, substack. Uh, Barry Weiss was the opinion editor of the New York Times, and she was hired specifically to bring in more diverse voices, meaning Allow, allow some conservative voices in there, and then she was fed to the wolves. But Rossi, who teaches at a private school in New York that costs over $50,000 a year, wrote this. Right now, my school is asking me to embrace anti-racism training and uh, pedagogy, a pedagogy that I believe is deeply harmful to them and to any person who seeks to nurture the virtues of curiosity, empathy, and understanding. Anti-racist training sounds righteous, but it is the opposite of truth in advertising. It requires teachers like myself to treat students differently on the basis of race. Furthermore, in order to maintain a united front for our students, teachers at Grace are directed to confine our doubts about this pedagogical framework to conversations with an in-house office of community engagement for whom every significant objection leads to a foregone conclusion. Any doubting students are likewise challenged to reframe their views to conform to this orthodoxy, end quote. I mean, this is what you would have expected in the Soviet Union. This is actually Soviet style of argument where your very doubt is evidence of your deficiency. If you don't agree right away, that proves your deficiency and therefore you must believe even more. Critical race theory is Marxism around race instead of class, meaning economic status. That's what critical race theory is. And it is being taught in schools. It's being taught to your children. They're, they're coming home and they're lecturing their parents even about how they don't engage enough with structural white supremacy and, and dismantle it the way that they're supposed to. And this is is madness, but it's very effective. It's brainwashing. Well, this school uh, board in Southlake just had a had a a win of people who are actually opposed to this. Uh, and uh, and no surprise, the media is just doing everything they can to run interference, to show this in a way that the good guys are the people brainwashing your kids with Marxist claptrap. Yeah. 
That's how the media approaches this. The media is disgusting. I mean, the corporate media in this country is overwhelmingly the enemy of the American people, the enemy of the American experiment. They harm. They are harmful. They've been harmful during the entirety of the covid pandemic. They were harmful with their lies about Russia collusion. They're harmful now as they cheer for people to be locked up in solitary confinement for the crime of a a so-called insurrection that in many of these cases were just people who were engaged in trespass during a riot, something the left does on a regular basis. So, yes, the corporate media are, in fact, the enemy of the American people, and we should be honest about that. It's one of the best things Donald Trump said out loud, among many things. Here's how NBC News reports on this election in South Lake, Texas. Um, in bitterly divided election in South Lake, opponents of anti-racism education win big. I mean, bitterly divided. It's 70-30, first of all. So it wasn't a close election. It was a school board election, but it wasn't close. And it's only bitterly divided because the left-wing Marxists are a bunch of lunatics. They've been brainwashed, and they want to brainwash everybody else. And the stuff they say is absurd and contradictory, and they have no real answers. But they want to get at the kids when they're young. Remember, at first they took over the universities. And we said, oh, well, people are crazy in college. And then they grow out of it. That was our theory. Wrong. No, that's not how it works. Four years of Marxist indoctrination, whether it's at Harvard or community college, it's, it's all going to end up with the same thing, which is a majority of those students realize that at some level their status in society is tied to these beliefs. If they want to be liked and elevated and get certain kind of jobs and get hired by certain companies. And that's because you've already had now a couple of waves, a couple of generations of the Marxist shock troops coming out of colleges and universities. And now they're in their 30s and 40s and they have power in institutions that have a lot of power in America, like Google and Facebook and Amazon and American Express and Delta Airlines and Nike. The woke Maniacs, we thought, oh, they'll pay taxes and they'll figure it out. No, they moved to blue enclaves, to deep blue cities on the coast predominantly or just very blue cities throughout America. And they have only like minded friends and they have like minded echo chambers of social media and they work at companies that put out these corporate multiculturalism and diversity statements. I mean, it's embarrassing the stuff that's being said by these companies. I mean, I played for you last week that woman from the CIA who's talking about how she doesn't have imposter syndrome anymore and she's a cisgender Latina female diagnosed with like some kind of anxiety disorder or something. But she's she's earned her place. The CIA, I mean, the, the CIA is, is turning into a jo- has honestly been for a long time, a jobs program for the overwhelmingly mediocre and lazy. And that's the hardest federal agency to get into by far. CIA is the most selective and it's turned into a joke. Ten percent of that place are the kind of people that you would want working at the CIA, meaning steely eyed, intelligent, hardworking patriots who are all about the mission. It's ten percent. And then it's probably 20 or 30 percent sloth. And then the rest are left. The rest are woke. Yes, that's what's happened. This is in the intelligence community. 
Don't you see the infiltration all throughout America of people who who hold that the Constitution is essentially a, a, a foolish document written by white racist slaveholders? So it doesn't really have any any moral or ideological pull for them at all. It's not some document of of. Uh, political genius that has created the greatest society in the history of the world. No, no, it's evil. And yes, we, we should have, you know, bans on white male authors in libraries and, and replace it with, you know, uh, LGBTQ female writers of the 17 and 1800s or wh- whatever, right? They're, they're just coming up with all this nonsense all the time. And we thought, because conservatives focus on what they think matters and the day-to-day and what is real, We'll cede all this ground to the other other side. It's fine. Let them have Hollywood. Let them have academia. Well, now they're teaching your eight-year-old that maybe he's a girl. And if you have a problem with that, you're a bigot, and your child is being taught that you are the problem. This is America now. This is happening all over the place. You know, some of you might live in a red enough part of the country where you don't think it really affects you. Go to your state capital. Go to, go to the largest city in your state and tell me what's going on with the school district there. And you could say, oh, but I'm okay where I am, really. Where's population growing the most? I'm not talking about at a state level. I'm talking about urban versus rural. The cities dominate the politics of states, whether it's California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts. The cities dominate in these places. Increasingly, you're going to see in Texas, if they just get San Antonio and Dallas and Houston blue enough, they think they can flip the state. They're they're not trying to win, uh, you know, the the Permian Basin. They're, They're not trying to win West Texas. The Democrats don't care. They're going for the population centers. But we seed so much of this and we and I understand the mentality. We just want to live our lives. But unless we start getting active. Unless the right conservatives, reasonable people mobilize, you've seen what the other side is willing to put us through with their absurd lockdowns and mask mandates and the hypocrisy. They don't care. Hypocrisy is not a criticism that stings the left. They enjoy hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means they have the power to force you to do things that they won't do to force you to obey rules that they themselves will break. Hypocrisy is one of the perks. It shows that that you're under their boot heel. They have no problem with it. You can cry about hypocrisy all day. They have the power. It's like Pompey Magnus in ancient Rome. Do not quote laws to men with swords. Don't quote hypocrisy to the woke left. They don't give a crap. People are figuring this out now. You want to stop this? You need the power to stop them. We need to identify the problem and take it on. And this is the, the local school board. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not, you know, national level power and all this other stuff. We're always so focused on the presidency. Every community, every town and city and state, there's a fight going on right now for who's calling the shots, who's in charge. You all have a role to play. Spoke to an English teacher from an elite NYC private school. She says colleagues are miserable with the new woke regime. Students are the commissars shouting about harm and trauma in the presence of any book or idea 
that deviates from the leftist orthodoxy and administrators are scared of them. That was from Kay uh, Heimowitz at the Manhattan Institute over the weekend. It's amazing, isn't it? These these elite prep schools who are just a, a funnel or supposed to be to the Ivy League, which are a funnel to the corporate, uh, you know, the corporate boardroom of the biggest companies and law firms and Wall Street investment banks. And they're all putting out statements that read like they were written by Malcolm X. But the people running these schools actually sound like Thurston Howell the third when you meet them. I mean, they're well, we have a fifty thousand dollar a year tuition. And, but they're all, oh, yeah, we're all about social justice and all that stuff. Sure, sure, we are. You know, we're really we're really engaging against the white supremacist rhetoric of, you know, Shakespeare in our literature classes these days, whatever. So and, and we have to take this ideology head on. I think that conservatives did not take it very seriously for a long time. And now the brain virus of CRT has uh, has spread. It has replicated. And critical race theory, which is based upon concepts of white privilege and microaggression, which are based upon constant hypersensitive resentment of even of even the smallest slight that it's not clear at all that it's racial. But you, if you decide that everything, every slight you feel is racial, well, then you create quite a bit of of, of uh, resentment, don't you? And you have to buy into all of this. It's fascinating, isn't it? We have a a country that the left tells us is elevating whiteness and, and white supremacy. But it's curious that Asian Americans have a higher household income than white Americans do. And in fact, Nigerian Americans, there are about a half a million of them in the United States. Nigerian immigrants in the United States have a higher income, substantially higher, about uh, 15 to 20 percent more than the average white American household. So we have a system, they tell us, of white supremacy that is the is the primary reason for disparities in socioeconomic status among all groups in the country. And yet you have a you have a substantial group uh, of immigrants directly from Africa who are outperforming pretty much all groups in this country. It's so interesting, isn't it? You don't hear much about that, do you? And you know, bless those Nigerians for working hard and doing, uh, you know, live, living the American dream. You know, welcome to the American family. I mean, a lot of them have been here for many years, but you get my point. It's uh, it's stunning. You don't have any honesty around this from the left. They don't really care about that, though, just like they don't care about um, hypocrisy, which is why we, we need to stop all. all look, it doesn't mean we can't point it out. It's important to point out the hypocrisy insofar as it's a reminder that our side is right and their side is wrong. So I'm, I'm not because I'm going to point it out. You know, it's important to use it as a tool, for example, with lockdowns and mask mandates. One of the reasons why we know it's bullcrap is that the people who are the strictest about it in the government structure, whether it's Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer or others, they or their staffs violate it and are not worried about it and expect you to be so worried about it. And it's just nonsense. It's absurd. You see that they don't mean what they say. So it's important for us to remind our own side and anybody who's still open minded, who's not yet on our side 
of their hypocrisy. But I'm just saying, don't think you will shame the left through allegations of hypocrisy into changing their ways. They delight in it. It's kind of like the gaslighting they do. You know, one of their favorite one of their favorite tools, one of their favorite tactics is to say, there's no cancel culture. What are you even talking about? Just to see us all have our heads explode because, I mean, the cancel culture is everywhere. We're all living in some some state of anxiety over it. But you'll you if you do, if you type in on Google right now, there is no cancel culture. You'll see countless think pieces from the left, quote, think pieces about how there's no such thing as cancel culture. It's just accountability culture. Doesn't even exist. And they just want to they just want to stop the free speech of those who are using speech to punish others for speech. I mean, they, they try to dizzy you with illogical and absurd statements, but it works. It works on a lot of people. Now, we're just seeing now the, the pushback against this. And, and here's another example. Governor Ron DeSantis is signing an executive order today suspending all COVID emergency orders. He's also signing a bill to limit localized emergency orders, which are a direct violation of individual liberty. And he's permanently banning vaccine passports altogether for COVID-19. Name a better governor. It is not possible. He is the best governor in America. And Ron DeSantis, I'm just going to say it, folks. He should not be anyone's running mate in 2024. Ron DeSantis should be at the top of the ticket in 2024. I want Trump to, to use the MAGA movement to push for DeSantis. Not one of Trump's kids. I want Ron DeSantis because of the results, because of what he's doing for the people of Florida and also the beacon of freedom and salvation he's creating for the rest of the country. D.C. has banned dancing at weddings, indoor and outdoor. I I want you to just think about that for a second. Yes, everybody is making footloose jokes, and I will tell you that I've, I've stayed away from that because... I've actually never seen the movie, so I've never seen it. Producer Mark, is it a good movie? Yes, it's a classic. Okay. I've never seen Footloose, but I know it's about a town where there's no dancing allowed. That's now our nation's capital. Washington, D.C., banning, dancing, and standing at weddings, at wedding receptions. Not allowed. 25% capacity or 250 people, they're saying. But standing and dancing at receptions not allowed. I mean, this is just this, the problem with empowering bureaucrats and government officials who are leftists, who are authoritarians, is that they always think that they have a better idea. They always think that they should have more power. They never realize that they're not very smart. They lack the humility to understand that They're making that policy decisions are always a series of trade-offs. And so you only should be making decisions in areas where you have a compelling government interest that is clear and where you've really weighed the consequences. But no, they just want to they just want to constantly hall monitor everything. They are the the unending busybodies of American life. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. And it's horrifying, you know, and and I'm glad that people others have, you know, I've been on the anti Fauci train for I mean, I've been like the conductor of it for the last year. Choo choo Fauci. You're the worst. 
I, I've been telling everybody, you know, here I am, Fouch, you know, I, I use big words when I'm talking about numbers on TV because then I, I, you know, think that people maybe will think I'm looking on data instead of thinking, what will my friends at the Washington Post editorial page think about my latest guidance about mitigation efforts? However, you know, I'm not the only one who does this guy. What's his name, Mark? He's on TikTok. Tyler, Tyler something. Tyler Fisher. Some guy named Tyler. I just want to give him credit. Here's his version of what it's like to listen to Dr. Dr. Fauci off of TikTok. Play it. I'd say even if you live alone, I would wear a mask in the house, especially in the shower, because frankly, droplets can make the way through the drain and come up through somebody else's toilet, infecting them with COVID through the anus. Uh, ballpark in two to five to 20 years, we can start thinking about considering the idea of pondering the thought of conceptualizing the possibility of maybe perhaps reopening, but probably not. I would avoid having any fun whatsoever in the near to far future. <laughs> that guy's brilliant. I got to tell you, I would avoid having any fun. I mean, that is pretty much or, or, or human contact or living your life. You know, there are at least 100 million people in America who have had covid and who are at a, who are at an entirely reasonable risk level. I'm talking about forget about vaccines. 100 million people have had it at least probably more like 150 million. But we all have to live in fear all the time. We all have to, you know, I was forced to obey all the stupid, all the dumbass restrictions on planes in New York City and restaurants and, and grocery stores in my own building and my own lobby. Still got COVID and I lasted a year. So it's not like I was being reckless and just trying to get it right. Took me it took me a year to get it, but I still got it. But the Fauciites have had a faulty, uh, a faulty logic all along. And it stretches back to two weeks to flatten the curve. It was never going to be two weeks to flatten the curve. That doesn't make sense for their goal. Their goal was to stop the virus, they said. They pretended that we could prevent mass infection of this pandemic across the country. That was a fantasy. And they didn't weigh out the consequences of what they were going to do to all of us in the meantime. But they got us to comply. The camel's nose in the tent, you know, the beginning, the, the thin end of the wedge was two weeks to flatten the curve for hospital capacity. That seemed reasonable. Did we ever did we ever overflow hospital capacity in this country? Never happened. And yet that was the big fear tactic. Remember when they told us that we had to have a million ventilators? That was what was actually said by I think it was Pelosi, Cuomo, a million those things cost forty or fifty thousand dollars a unit. You need a trained staff of ICU nurses, not even just standard nurses. You need ICU trained nurses to run them. And then we found out that putting people on the ventilators too early, which is what they were doing, and not putting them on their stomachs, which they weren't initially doing, led to increased mortality. And that for many people, being put on the ventilators was a, was a death sentence. Thousands and thousands of people. But 
I understand that was in the early days. Fog of war challenges. Didn't know a lot. People terrified. Okay, now we're now we've been in this thing for a year. We've seen where they're right, where they're wrong, and they they don't accept that they were wrong in any of this. I mean, they they have a belief that they've done just a great job. Oh, yeah, no, they've been fantastic on this issue. It's absurd, isn't it? But I want you to be prepared while they're doing stupid things like banning dancing at weddings so you can be indoors and you can be there for hours at a time, but it's dancing that's the problem. Mayor Bowser got rid of the outdoor mask mandate in D.C. for a day and then switched it back. A town, I think it's Brookline in Massachusetts, which is, you know, it's like a bunch of Hillary and Obama voters all decided to make one town in in Massachusetts. It's a wealthy, liberal suburb of Massachusetts. They've decided that even though the, the, uh, the state no longer has an outdoor mask mandate because of the CDC guides. I hate the term guides. These are CDC rules. They're rules. Because all these different political tyrants across the country say, oh, the CDC says it. You got to do it. We'll send men with guns. We'll send state police or local police to drag you out of the church because the CDC says so. So let's not pretend that the lab coat tyrants are just sharing advice, just giving us some of their thoughts. No, the CDC's proclamations, because we allowed this, have the force of law, and it's absurd, and it's a nightmare. CDC is full of middling morons. That's right. The people that are making the policy decisions at the CDC, whether it's uh, Walensky or any of the people around her, idiots. Horrible judgment. Maybe knowledgeable about some things. Horrible judgment. And judge and and, uh, knowledge without judgment, it's still very possible to be a dumbass. And I bring you the next phase. You keep thinking. I know a lot of people and not you, but one keeps thinking, you know, oh, we're just going to wait out there crazy. They can't stay crazy forever. The Fauciites will run out of steam with their lunacy and wrong. I bring you what I've been telling you all along forever covid i wrote a post on bucksexton.com which is one of the reasons why i want you to keep checking in on that site because i'm writing for it multiple times a week and i've got a a team that that's posting news stories every day go to bucksexton.com you can also listen to my podcast there uh but i wrote a piece a while ago on get ready you know get ready for forever covid and i got fact checked officially they banned it on facebook they said it was false information Oh, really? One of the things that I said that they said was false was that wearing a mask outdoors is unreasonable for those at low risk. I should have specified for the vaccinated, but I shouldn't have because it's actually low risk for everybody. And they said that was that was a fact check. Oh, my judgment can now be fact checked. And now the CDC has admitted that. Remember, remember. They're admitting it now because they have to. It's been true all along. It's been stupid. Wearing two masks or one mask outside has been dumb all along. Not rooted in any realistic, fair-minded interpretation of the numbers. But if you thought this was just going away, I got news for you. It's not. Reaching, this is the New York Times piece. 
Reaching herd immunity is unlikely in the U.S. Widely circulating coronavirus variants and persistent hesitancy about vaccines will keep the goal out of reach. The virus is here to stay. Um, that's that's all in this in this piece. Uh, but vaccinating the most vulnerable may be enough to restore normalcy. So they don't want to tell you yet for sure that the covid authoritarians are never actually just going to recede into the background and want to have control of your life. They're not going to tell you that yet, but they're gearing up for this. They're gearing up for it. The virus is unlikely to go away, said Rustam Antia, the evolutionary biologist at University of Emory in Atlanta. But we want to do all we can to check that it's likely to become a mild infection. The, the virus is going to be here forever, folks, is what they're telling you. The virus is going to be here forever. So if if we continue with this unreasonable mentality that the, that the infections have to be basically zero or you still have to keep masking, get ready for it. Even if we get out of some masks going on to the summer, come next winter, they're going to say we got to mask up again. And if you say, why? There's so little COVID. That seems to say, well, what about the flu? Flu plus COVID got a mask up. We've now turned to a, into a masked society. I will not. I'm just going to tell you this. I will not live in a state that allows this madness to continue. I, I will whatever state I live in that I, mean, I live in New York now. If they keep doing this, I'm moving. I mean, I want to move as it is, but I'm I'm absolutely fleeing this insanity these people around new york city they are they are nerve-wracked over anxious virtue signaling cnn worshiping lib idiots they're all over the place they'll believe anything that dr fauci says and they're so disdainful of those of us who are saying you should get your life back we should have normalcy back let's go let's do this they're hateful toward those people because to accept that they're right now would be to open up the possibility that they've been right for a long time and what does that mean for all the people that have masks in their facebook profile photo masks as their twitter avatar that's embarrassing you can take a look around journalists there's so many of them with oh i'm wearing a mask in their photo why because it symbols it's a symbol of political allegiance because it's a giant opportunity for virtue signaling. Because you're not a Trumper. Oh, okay. Appalling stupidity. And they're so surly and smug about it all, aren't they? They've been wrong all along. They're just not the maskers, the lockdowners, the Fauciites. Just not nearly as clever as they think they are. Get ready, everybody, for a new weaponized, aggressive, in your face, in every aspect of your life, internal revenue service. <laughs> Boy, that's really bringing people together. That's a real uniting force for the American people because everyone loves the IRS. So let's have them in every aspect right, of that. your life to see if they can squeeze another nickel out of your pocket um, for Joe Biden to spend. I'm sorry. That's not what this country is all, all right. about. And, and so when you look at exactly what's going on here, what's going on is that Joe Biden ran as a moderate uniter and he is now governing as a bernie sanders elizabeth warren way out socialist liberal and so i'm willing to let that take some time for the american people to have it sink in 
Yeah, he is. That's Chris Christie, and, and he's right on this. Uh, the Biden that we're getting is not the Biden that was offered up in the general election, but we should have known that, right? We, I knew it. You knew it, but not enough Americans in some places figured this out. They went with Biden because he didn't represent what the Democrats are all about, because he pretended to be a different kind of Democrat. It was all a fraud. It's all one big lie. And now we're living with the consequences of it. And if the media wasn't so deep in the pocket, I mean, you look at the crises that are going on right now, the border crisis, undeniable, the homicide rise crisis across the country, undeniable, the continued assault on our most basic individual freedoms because of the Fauciite lunacy, undeniable. You have all these problems still. And yet the way the media talks about Biden, we're being we're being led to believe, oh, Everyone's so happy with him. Everyone's so optimistic. You know who thinks he's great? Hillary. She's still out there, believe it or not. Play four. But it wasn't until the pandemic that I think a truly working majority of Americans crossing party lines, as we've seen because of the approval that Republicans and independent uh, voters are giving Biden, suddenly understood in a clear way that you know what, there's lots of times when we need the government and we've been exposed uh, as uh, lacking in the kind of investments and support uh, that we as Americans should be providing each other with the government as our partner. And I'm thrilled that um, you know President Biden is taking advantage of this moment to try to push the agenda as far as possible. Push the agenda as far as possible. She wanted to be your president. She was close. I will always be thankful to Donald Trump for saving us from four years of of that nightmare. But always. But she sees what this is. This year is when they go for it. Next year is when the Democrat left goes back to 2020 and pretends that it's just Good old Grandpa Amtrak Joe. Hey, and I'm just here bringing people together. And the whole bullcrap parade starts all over again. I want 2021 to be the year of the of the big small business comeback. I want small businesses across America to have their best year in recorded you know history in recent memory uh, because they've been through so much with COVID. And it is possible, you know, even with this Biden administration making the decisions that it does, it's possible to you know. Get it going. I mean, you can just bootstrap it and you know, local communities support the small businesses and we'll be good to go. But you got to make smart decisions. And one of them is how you handle your HR, because when running a business, HR issues can kill you. And you've got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. And Bambi is your solution, because otherwise you're going to be spending $70,000 a year on an HR manager salary. That's the average. Well, Bambi is created specifically for small business to help with all this. You get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business, and they help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now and schedule your free HR audit. That's B A M 
B-E-E.com slash buck. Bambi.com slash buck. B-A-M-B-E-E. And set up your free HR audit for your small business. It's an amazing service. So straightforward and easy to use. Could save you tens of thousands of dollars. Well, I'll tell you, it seemed to me to be almost like a, a dis, out of a dystopian novel. Uh, you see him there. Everyone's vaccinated. You have the, the, uh, the VP and the speaker behind, you know, wearing these masks. You hardly have anybody in the chamber. Um, it really just sent, a, I think, a message uh, that America is on its back right now. Uh, it didn't exude strength. And, and I think his uh, pedestrian delivery of it, obviously, you know, he's, he's not the sharpest uh, uh, tool in the toolbox anymore. Uh, I think that was readily apparent. So, so, so I thought it was really sad, to be honest with you. I thought it was sad, too, but he mentioned that was Ron DeSantis, the best governor in America. And he uh, he mentioned dystopia. Here's a story you should know about from the Alaska from the Alaska Watchman uh, newspaper. Paul and Marilyn Hooper, owners of Homer Inn and Spa, woke with a start at 9 a.m. on April 28th when a dozen armed FBI agents kicked down their front door in an investigation associated with Representative Nancy Pelosi's stolen laptop, which was taken during the January 6th siege of the nation's capital. Speaking April 29th to Kenai-based radio host Bob Bird of the Bird's Eye View, Paul recalled that he was alarmed and shocked to come out of his bedroom with seven guns pointing at him and his wife. It was a little alarming when I turned around the corner, Paul said. The first thing he did was start barking out commands. Ultimately, the couple was handcuffed and interrogated for the better part of three hours before being released. In the end, it was a case of mistaken identity. The Hoopers were in D.C. for the rally with President Trump on January 6th, but they never came close to entering the Capitol, and they certainly never took Pelosi's laptop. It appears the FBI were most interested in Maryland, They had a photo of a woman wearing the same coat as her with a similar hairstyle. The photo was taken from the Capitol building cameras, but beyond the hair and the coat, there is little similarity between Marilyn and the woman photographed inside the Capitol. The entire saga left the Hoopers disoriented, but determined to better understand and defend their personal liberties and those of their friends and neighbors. We sat there for the first hour, not knowing what's going on, They never offered for us to be comfortable. It was harshly done. Paul said the agents ransacked the house and left a huge hole in his front door, which they offered to replace. Paul said he knew he was innocent of whatever they suspected him and his wife of, but it was still pretty confusing. After more than an hour, the agents told him the raid had to do with the January 6th siege of the Capitol. The Hubers were only part of a peaceful protest in D.C., Paul said they never entered the Capitol building and were at least a hundred yards away from the entrance. Agents showed Paul a photo of the woman who did enter the Capitol and asked if that was his wife. They had the same coat on, but the face of the woman was quite different from my wife's. My wife is much better looking than that, he said. uh, While separated from her husband, Marilyn was told by the agents were at their home. We're here for Nancy Pelosi's laptop. The agents then claimed they had positively identified Marilyn as being in the Capitol building and they wanted to know who she was working with. Marilyn said she tried to be respectful, but uh, but couldn't help but laugh. 
I couldn't read it fast enough to know what it was. She then asked to see a warrant and was told that she would get to see it later. When repeatedly told she was the woman of the photo, Marilyn responded by saying, I'd like to know how I split myself in two locations because I didn't know I had this power. The first photo agent showed her was very fuzzy. Then they showed her a photo of the woman's face. She said, oh, that's obviously not me. Why didn't you show me that photo to start with? The woman in the photo has detached earlobes. Marilyn's are attached. Plus, the woman was wearing a sweater that Marilyn said you, quote, couldn't pay me to wear. Stormtroopers of the FBI, friends, sent to kick in someone's door in Alaska for the crime of being present in D.C. during a major protest that had a portion of it turn into a riot. The FBI sent seven agents Guns drawn to their home in Alaska. This is what tyrant bullcrap looks like. Oh, yeah, Joe Biden. Oh, the insurrection. Oh, they're all crying about the insurrection. They're going to overthrow the government. Bullcrap. It was a stupid riot where people overwhelmingly were guilty of trespass and destruction of property. No one killed any police officers that day. Let's look at the facts. The only person killed was Ashley Babbitt, whose family's now bringing suit against the Capitol Hill police. And here's a prediction. The federal judge, probably an Obama appointee that she'll get in D.C., in the D.C. Circuit Court, will dismiss the complaint immediately, as soon as it comes before him or her. Guaranteed, friends. Guaranteed. This is what tyranny looks like. This is what it feels like. The politically disfavored with no actual crime committed, but vaguely associated with the possibility of somebody else who did a crime have men with guns kicking in their door at 6 a.m. Guns drawn on them for what? The real answer to that question. First of all, these FBI agents should be ashamed, ashamed. Wherever they are across the country, you're a disgrace, agents. I worked for the CIA. I know the mission. You're a disgrace. You should resign instead of doing the dirty work, being the Praetorian guard of this Biden administration. You should be ashamed of yourselves. But, you know, good benefits and, you know, we get our paycheck and, you know, we lock up people for gun violations and other things, too. You know, sure. It's not worth it. Not worth it to be a part of the Biden Stasi. Find other work. At least join, you know, local law enforcement where you feel like you have some, some buffer against this kind of overt politicization. I mean, the photo didn't even look like this woman at all. They went in and they kicked in her door? That you're going to tell me they, oh, because they're so dangerous, they're a part of the insurrection? They're not cartel hit men. They could have called them and said, hi, we're with the FBI. We think you were at the, would you come down and talk to us? They could have then gotten a lawyer and said, sure, showed up and like, that's not me. End of story. Could have taken 10 minutes. Didn't want to do that because they want to send a message. And the message they're sending, you have to understand, they don't care that she's not the person. This is an opportunity to send the message that if you were even present supporting Trump, We might come and kick in your door, too. We'll see what the Biden folks 
feel like doing. I want to tell you about a man named Yuri and Alexandrovich Bezmanov. You're known as Yuri Bezmanov, okay? So he was uh, a Soviet journalist for Ria Novosti, and he was a KGB informant as well, and then he defected to Canada. And he has a series of, of interviews after he defected in the 70s where he talks about what the Soviets, which really, if you just remember, the Soviets were the primary Marxist state for, what, 50, 50 or 60 years. Uh, and what he talks about is the way that, and this is based on KGB theory and, and their approach to undermining what we think of as Western and American civilization, what are the ways they'd go about it? And, and conservatives occasionally share these on social media and because it really resonates and you hear so much of, and remember, he was saying this stuff in the 70s. I mean, here we are now, 50 years later, and you're hearing a guy who came over to America or came over to Canada, but then was giving interviews in America, fled to the West and really understands Marxist infiltration and undermining of Western society from the inside out. He was a part of it. And he tried to warn America about what was coming and what the Marxists were planning. And remember, the Communist Party USA and communist parties all throughout Europe and Canada were supplying information and support of all kinds to the Kremlin for decades during the Soviet era. So we did have communist penetrations, not only of our government, but just of our overall society. And if you're wanting to read a series of essays um, by former communists, including uh, Robert Wright here in America, read The God That Failed, which is just a fantastic collection of essays because it shows people that became and they're intellectuals, they're all they're writers and journalists who were Marxists. They thought they could create a utopianistic future in their own, whether it's in Italy or France or America but then the closer they got to actual Marxism and the people involved in it, the more they realized this is a godless and heinous and destructive ideology that is contradictory to that, that contravenes human nature, Judeo-Christian morality and Western civilization by its very essence. Here is this back in the 70s. Here is Yuri Bezmanov warning America, the first part that I want to play for you. Play one. Most of the people who graduated in the 60s drop out. As a result, you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s drop outs or half-baked intellectuals are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind. Even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you have you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years 
to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society. So he's talking about exactly what we've seen happen, but now we're on the third generation of it. Right. So he said all oh, the 60s and 70s, the Marxist, the leftist have have infiltrated your institutions. So they burrowed in. They didn't yet control them. Harvard, you know, IBM, the, these places were not run by Marxists in the 70s. But the, but the Marxists got a toehold, a beachhead. They established the beginnings of what would become a full-fledged, it's very much like a virus. You know, the first viral particles of Marxism had gotten into, because they understand this was the strategy, it wasn't an accident, they got into these institutions. And then just like a virus that seeks to overtake the host entirely to replicate itself all the way, you know, a, a parasite generally doesn't want to kill the host A virus can spread so quickly that it doesn't care if it kills the host. It wants to overtake the body entirely. If you, you know, if your immune system isn't strong enough, it'll absolutely overtake it. Whereas a parasite is generally set up so that it can continue to feed off of you, but but you don't die. The virus of Marxism infiltrated important institutions in America. And those people are lost to patriotism, constitutionalism, Western civilization, Judeo-Christian values, they're brainwashed and they've de- it's it's central to their identity. Doesn't this sound like all the leftists you know today, whether they're on MSNBC or they live next door to you? Their leftism, their their Bernie Sandersism or Kamala Biden love and their double triple masking outside and their wokeness and putting pronouns in their bio on LinkedIn and all this stuff. Doesn't it remind you of what he's exactly saying here about leftists who are always extreme and unwavering? They are fundamentalists in Marxist ideology. Instead of having a fundamentalist belief in Scripture or God or Allah or whatever, they have a fundamentalist belief in Karl Marx's view of society. And the only change now is that we've uh, because initially the Marxists and this is important. The Soviets made huge gains in Western civilization. They made huge gains in America and France and Britain. They had the Cambridge Five, the Spiring. They had Alger. I mean, well, Alger has worked for them, but really showed us, um, uh, you know, there was more than just that. Uh, they Whitaker Chambers exposed Algeris. Anyway, uh, they had they had all this momentum because of the belief after the Great Depression that capitalism had failed. And so the failure of capitalism was a huge, uh, a huge calling card for the Marxists. It was a huge win for them. They say, see, societies that that are built around free markets and individual ingenuity and, and the rewards of the market are failures Let's do Marxism. It'll be better. Now, then we ran with Marxist societies in the Soviet Union and other places for 50 years, and it all fell apart because the capitalist free market-based societies had freedom and happiness and wealth and dignity, 
And the Marxist societies were totalitarian hellholes, overwhelmingly. So what do they do now? We'll have to find a new basis of division and envy and 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 friction within a society, and they do it based upon racial division. And that's what's going on here in America, as well as a lot of class division, too. But racial division has become the primary tool of the Marxists. And there are people who use this to their own ends and do so recklessly and in you know, in a way that's tremendously damaging to our society, and they don't care. And they infiltrated the institutions in the 60s and 70s. They then pushed out the capitalist, constitutionalist, traditionalist Americans in the 80s and 90s, the era of political correctness, right? They started pushing out people like my mentor at Amherst College, Hadley Arkies. Kicked out of the political science building. Had to go to the admin building because his colleagues hated him so much. He had been at the school for 40 years. Pariah in his own institution. And then you get into the 2000s, the Obama administration, and wokeness. The end stage of the radical infiltration and then political correctness takeover of our institutions. That's what you're seeing. Play two. And yet these people who've been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes, uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously, they will join the links of dissenters, yeah. dissidents. Yeah. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get... Uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Secretary Mayorkas, uh, one of the areas the of particular concern is well, unaccompanied well. minors at the border who are being allowed to stay in this country. There was a record in March in terms of crossings from that group. Was it also a record in April? Do you know that yet? And are you seeing any evidence that your message of do not come is making a difference? We made a, um, a very important decision uh, that we would not continue to expel unaccompanied children as the Trump administration did. In late March, you are correct, the numbers were extraordinarily high, and we had over 5,700 young children, unaccompanied children, in the custody of the uh, Border Patrol. Now, as of yesterday, uh, we had under 700. It's an extraordinary achievement, and it speaks of the commitment and capabilities of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security and the teamwork with Health and Human Services. But, Mr. Secretary, uh, we are that, addressing the needs of children. Does, does that reflect a reduction in the number of people coming over the border or just an increase in how uh, quickly you can move people out of your custody into Health and Human Services custody and then to sponsors? So we don't have the April numbers yet. Uh, we should have those cumulatively uh, within a day or two. Uh, the numbers uh, remain high. Whether they are as high as March is yet undetermined. 
Mayorkas here of DHS, the secretary, trying to play a game with the American people. Doesn't want you to know what's really going on here. Because he says, oh, they're moving people out of Border Patrol custody. The unaccompanied minors out of Border Patrol custody at such a a great pace. They're just handing them over to HHS custody. And then they sit in HHS custody and are then distributed all across the United States. This is dealing with the border crisis. we got Congressman Andy Biggs with us now from the great state of Arizona. Congressman, great to have you. Great to be with you, Buck. Look, you you have a whole lot of border in your home state that that we need to be looking at as well. A lot of legal crossings going on there. I just I think that people if they if they listen to what DHS is uh, Mayorkas is saying here can start to understand that the, the Biden administration doesn't view the illegal crossing as a crisis. They're just looking to process it better. No, that's exact. That is exactly right, Buck. They, this is what an open border looks like. They campaign for an open border. It's what they want. They're doing things like in southern Arizona. They just built a, uh, you know, I think it was $35 million soft-sided facility so they can keep people so they can, because uh, they have no place to put them. There's so many people coming across. There's no place to put them, and they don't want to hold them, and they're not allowed to hold them, quite frankly, under the law. So what they want to do is facilitate the logistic arm of the cartel by transporting these people throughout the United States, wherever they want to go. Congressman Biggs, what do you expect is going to happen over the next, let's say, 60 to 90 days at our southern border? Um, There will be nothing that happens from the the Biden administration. It's going to continue coming. There might be some slight slowdown once uh, temperatures hit 110 to 115 degrees during the daytime here. Uh, that might slow it down a little bit, and then it'll rev back up uh, toward the end of summer, uh, you know, late August, September, get going again. But what you will see is more inhumanity because more people will continue to die because crossing the borders and the rugged terrain of, of Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, and, and northern Mexico, those heats, uh, uh, and with the cartel, they, they, would, they just leave people behind, by the way. So they don't care if they live or die. They've got their money. Um, and that's that's the way that's going to work. But there's going to this this surge will continue. Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona with us now. You know, Congressman, I've you, you've been one of the the few from the very beginning in elected office who's who's at least been willing to question. I mean, there's Senator Rand Paul. There are a few, but question some of of what I term the Fauciite consensus. Now we're seeing news articles in places like the New York Times raising the possibility of forever covid that this is just going to be something that we have to control with measures that we've been using all along because we're not going to reach true herd immunity what do you say to that and how is your state dealing with this well you know what can you say i mean buck i've been saying all along this is a control maneuver not a a public health maneuver and uh uh just last week when we had the the president's speech and i'm on the floor i have a row to myself it's absurd and I'm looking across, there's there's Democrats with rows to themselves, 15 feet away from anybody, contrary to even CDC guidelines, and they're wearing double masks. So it's a control issue as much as anything. Uh, how Arizona's done, it's, you know, I would give it a C. I mean, we could have done so much better, um, in my opinion. Uh, I felt early on I was arguing that we should be taking care of the, the, the most vulnerable. We knew early on, Buck, that the most vulnerable were the seniors, 
and we knew that uh, people with comorbidities. We didn't do real great at that, and it took us a long time. And and uh, for a state whose economy was just on fire, um, we didn't get hurt as bad as other states, but uh, it could have done a lot better. And we still have a lot of unemployment. A lot of businesses have been lost, and uh, uh, and we've got a lot. Of, we've got some school districts that still won't open up. And where are you with with uh, mask mandates at the state level? Uh, we don't have a mask mandate at the state level. Um, it's it's always been local. And so you've got the liberal enclaves of Flagstaff and Tucson and Phoenix, city of Phoenix. They're still mandating masks, but all of the suburbs have basically pulled it off. And, and I've been into a lot of uh, stores and stuff uh, the last week. And uh, now there, there's no mask. Some, some stores are still requiring masks, but that's a private property decision. I get it. And I'll respect it, but it's, it still seems stupid to me. We're speaking to Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona. Congressman, did, did you see this news story out of out of Alaska about the uh, the couple that had seven FBI agents with guns drawn kick in yeah. their front door? And and because they thought that one of the women looked like a woman who was in the Capitol building and, and they think that maybe that woman who it doesn't look anything apparently really like this woman anyway, stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop. I mean, you know, law enforcement makes decisions all the time about how to handle situations, depending on the threat, the vulnerability of the officers. I mean, this to me is this is straight up intimidation. I mean, I, I, I've worked with law enforcement before. I know how these decisions go down. There's absolutely no reasonable justification for sending in an armed team of seven guys to make an arrest like this. No, I, I did see the article. I actually didn't see just one article. I, it was so intriguing to me. I went and read everything I could about it. Uh, outrageous. Um, I, I looked at the pictures side-by-side comparisons. In my, my view, no comparison at all, especially when, when uh, the lady in Alaska takes off her mask. doesn't even look like the, the uh, lady in the Capitol. This is intimidation, but it's consistent. And this is, this is uh, one of the things I've been doing research on is uh, what's happened to people who've been burning down Portland and riding Portland for a year or we're in the chop zone or Chaz in Seattle and in Minneapolis, how many are, how many are actually prosecuted uh, versus people who went into the, the, uh, the Capitol who, who didn't do anything more than uh, there was criminal trespass. It shouldn't have been there. And I'm not justifying what they did, but we've put all of the resources of the federal government to go after those people and then you get these crazy things like what happened in Alaska. And this is intimidation and it's intimidation of the right. And that's why this narrative from the left that it was an insurrection and that our country's full of white nationalists and domestic terrorists. It is the wrong way to, to govern. It's meant to intimidate. And you throw it with everything you and I were just talking about with control because of the COVID. And, and uh, uh, it's, it's a very disturbing trend in this country. Uh, to see this, I mean, uh, Roger Stone. I mean, the guy. How old is Roger Stone? They're gonna, they're gonna uh, encircle him with SWAT teams all over the place. Dozens of guys with long guns at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah, absurd. I mean, that's that's the intimidation that we see from from uh, uh, law enforcement that doesn't have to be there. Really, doesn't have to be there. That my guess is that lady would have just come in if you would have said, "Hey, please, please come on and talk to us." She comes in, you see, she's not the right lady, and away, away, you, you let her go. We're speaking to Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona and, and Congressman. Um, do you think that we are seeing the backlash beginning at least to the extreme woke agenda of the left? 
You know, I, I think you are. I mean, it's uh, first of all, you give Tim Scott because because uh, he does a, did a great job basically countermanding one of the biggest spokes in the wheel of wokeism. And that's the racist uh, trope that's out there. And he says, we're not a racist country. He immediately uh, re- required because he said that Joe Biden admitted it wasn't racist. Kamala Harris admits it's not racist. So so you sense this. You're starting to sense this. This tide may be turned. People are sick of this. People are sick of the political correct culture that doesn't allow you to say what's on your mind. I don't care if you if you think I'm a raging idiot. Uh, I'll disagree with you. Um, I mean, you know, but but you'd be allowed to say that. And uh, regardless of of my ability to call on whatever um, protected status that I, I think I might have. I mean, this is. It, people are getting tired of it, and you're going to see it if these corporations continue to go this way. You're going to actually see uh, people get sick of it. They're, they're, they're going to quit shopping there. They're going to quit uh, supporting these folks. Is there anything you think you can do? I, I know you're in the you're in the House minority right now, but is there anything that, that can be done now, or perhaps in the midterms, assuming Republicans can take back the House with things like this? This is a CNN piece I wanted to ask you about. The Biden administration is considering using outside private firms to track extremist chatter by Americans online, an effort that would expand the government's ability to gather intel. Uh, Biden team may partner with private firms to surveil suspected domestic terrorists. And there's a big photo of the Capitol Hill riot on January 6th with this story. Uh, This should send a chill down a lot of people's spines. Oh, uh, my goodness. Yes, we're talking uh, this. This is the move to the ultimate control that a, a fascist tyranny wants. And that's that's what they would want to do. Yeah, there are things we can do. Um, uh, first of all, you def- you can defund you can we control the funding so you could defund this to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, we're going to need special interest law firms are going to have to go after them. Look, they, they are. We, we know there's already abuse of the FISA program. Why do they need to get a private firm? How about the USPS, the Postal Service, uh, spying on people? Uh, you know, when will it end? Uh, Americans have got to say enough's enough. Congress has got to say enough's enough. Uh, at some point, even my Democrat colleagues have got to join us and say, you can't do that. you got to stop that. This, that kind of special uh, uh, force basically of a, of a privatized special force to go and, and just be spying on you. Uh, we're all going to have to go to super encryption uh, to prevent that. Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. Congressman, always appreciate you uh, joining us here in the Freedom Hut. Thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thanks, Buck. Let's keep fighting for freedom together, man. You know it. He said, among other things, America isn't racist. Is it? No, I don't think the American people are racist. But I think after 400 years, African-Americans have been left in a position where they are so far behind the eight ball in terms of education, health, in terms of opportunity. I don't think America's racist, but I think the, the overhang from all of the Jim Crow and before that slavery have have had a cost and we have to deal with it. Uh, it's not that Americans are racist. It's that. Our system is racist. Hmm. But isn't our system comprised of Americans? You know, they always use this uh, really this uh, framework 
because it allows them to, to create a, a moral imperative for action and really create a moral high ground for themselves without actually disparaging the American people overall. But it seems to me to be quite disingenuous. You either believe that there's a racist system, which means that people are engaged in acts of racism, right? We, we don't have some sterile bureaucracy without individuals involved, or we don't have some marketplace run by machinery where there aren't human beings making the decisions, right? Where is this institutional racism? Tell me where it exists. And then I'll start to point to people and say, okay, who's being racist in that? You you don't get to have it both ways. You can't lecture us about a racist system, but then pretend that there are no racists, in fact, making the decisions in those systems. But this is the contradiction that they insist on. And speaking of of the system, this, this is central to the Democrat ploy these days. But uh, Jill Jill Biden, the first lady, you know, she's miseducation because she uh, has a Ph.D. from University of Delaware in education, uh, which is, yeah, I'm sure. I I believe her thesis was on, like, getting more minorities to be in community college or something like that. You know, not not exactly a dissertation in astrophysics, but but anyway, uh, she... Dr. Jill Biden. I'm sorry. No, no. And some of you point out, you say, I call him Dr. Gorka. Yeah, that's because I like him and he's my buddy. I call him Dr. G. But yes, it is generally my preference that you call people with a medical degree doctor. I think that PhDs can be called professor, but I do not believe that they should be called doctor. And I think it's pretentious to uh, ask otherwise. Anyway, here, here is, unless you're Dr. G, because then you're a great patriot and you're awesome. Here is uh, Jill Biden um, on the calling on teachers unions to allow schools to reopen. Hmm. Play 15. As an educator, there's been some vocal opposition, especially from teachers unions, to this idea that the, the teachers should be forced back into the classrooms this fall, regardless of vaccinations. Well, what do you say? I mean, what's your message to educators, is it time to get back in the classroom this fall, no matter what? Well, I think it depends on, uh, you know, we're following the science and what the CDC says. And so each district is different. And uh, so I think we have to listen to the experts and the science and then the districts have to decide. But we, we know um, this, this time that's been lost in terms of learning, especially in communities of color, uh, especially mm-hmm. kids, poor kids who haven't been in classrooms, who don't have access uh, to high-speed Internet. Just the mental stress, the toll it's taken on, on these children. How, how could we justify not returning to in-person learning? Well, I am concerned about the, the lost learning, but I do think we have an opportunity now to um, make things better. Just cowardice. Can't be a Democrat and upset the teachers unions. Mm-mm. So kids suffer and she doesn't care. You know, the markets are at all time highs in some sectors. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, rise in the stock market over the last 12 months, despite the pandemic and a lot of mar- a lot of areas have recovered. And there's still tons of money to be made. You just got to know where to be and, and how to be there. 
That's why I want you to learn about my friends at Carnivore Trading. They send me real-time text messages all throughout the day telling me exactly what they're doing in the market, and then I mirror their moves. And here's why. Carnivore has spotted several key indicators that make them think the market could be still on the verge of historic gains, but in certain sectors that a lot of Wall Street experts aren't paying attention to. Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore like I do, you receive real-time text alerts right to your phone of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can then mirror their trades with your discount broker. That's what I do. Or you can pass, but why pass? Their trades routinely crush the S&P 500. They guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. 5x your monthly subscription just by mirroring their trades. So simple. You have your discount broker, whatever money you're comfortable trading. And remember, you know, be be uh, conservative about this, but you want to grow it, right? Carnivore Trading will send you text message alerts. We're getting into XYZ stock. We're getting into this or that. And then you can just do it yourself and get those gains going. The market is on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades today. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. Visit GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guarantee terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Harsanyi time. You all know what that means. Our buddy David Harsanyi with us from National Review. Just go to NationalReview.com for his latest. He's a senior writer there, always putting out insightful stuff. David, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's start with spending. I'm concerned here because you can see the in the tank corporate media doing everything that they possibly conceivably can to make it seem like spending six trillion. No big deal. And it's very popular, David. It's very popular. So there are really two components here. There's the way the media is presenting this Biden plan. And I think the spending and the tax stuff he will actually get. I, mean, I think a lot of this is going to get done uh, as opposed to like gun bans. And that that's all the usual you know, liberal malarkey. But uh, I, I do think that on taxes, it's going to happen through reconciliation on spending. They'll get some of this through because they'll they'll lard it in with a must pass bill at some point. Right. So w- what. What do we need to know here? Let's start with the media. Well, how, how is it possible that they can consider themselves journalists when what they're really doing is running the press shop for the Biden administration? Yeah, I mean, I would say the vast majority, there are occasional good reporters, but very rare because there is no real incentive to be a good reporter anymore. It doesn't get you ahead. What gets you ahead is being a reporter for the Democratic Party. And that, as you mentioned, I mean, Every it's not just about a line that's misleading or a line that's biased. It's about the entire focus and framing of issues which are done in a liberal manner. So it's just today you have the arc uh, the infrastructure bill, which is just this gigantic bill, which I think seven percent of actually goes to the things that people regard as a real infrastructure, roads, bridges, whatever. Um, there's a big story in the Washington Post about how Biden is willing to compromise on the bill and pass it piecemeal to get Republican votes. Now, why sh- so? You see how this works. They simply say this is an emergency. We must pass this. They circumvent debate about whether it's even needed or not. And then when Republicans don't compromise, they'll say that Republicans just want to bring down the president. They don't want to move forward. This never happens in the reverse. Right. You don't have a a 
Donald Trump saying let's cut taxes and then everyone talking about how it's needed and then what when will Democrats, you know, come come around and meet him halfway. That never happens. So that's just one way in which they do it. And then, you know, they diminish what's in the bills. Like you said, no one really understands what's in the infrastructure bill. They just hear the word infrastructure or hear the word energy or hear the word covid and they don't learn enough about it. So, of course, when you pull them like it's push polling, basically, they're going to say, yes, I like it. Now, we also have I mean, you know, you mentioned the the way that we skip the whole part about do we need this, which which I would think would actually be pretty important when you're talking about spending a few trillion dollars. Right. I, I would think that that's that's something that we could all we should all be able to agree. Well, can we be sure about this before we do it? But we always hear about our crumbling roads and bridges. And, you know, I, I know some folks who well, I have a friend who works on the worked in the investment banking side, for example, on industrials and dealt with a lot of, you know, companies that will lease a toll road or build an airport or all these kinds of things. And I mean, yeah, sure. You're driving through a major city. There are going to be potholes, but there's always right? I, mean, I, I think that people's perceptions of the crumbling roads and bridges is at least right now exaggerated. Like we're, we're led to believe that America has bad infrastructure as a national. That doesn't mean there aren't places that need better infrastructure, but you know, how, how should we gauge this? Well, when people think about infrastructure and bad infrastructure, they think about the pothole they go over and not the thousand miles of pristine road that they might drive in an interstate highway. Um, you know, I guess this is an popular opinion, but I think our infrastructure is actually in very good shape. There are places that need help, but it's not like we don't spend money. That's what people think. We don't spend money on highways. We spend hundreds of billions. I forgot the number is 600 billion when you incorporate local, you know, state and national money spent on infrastructure. How much do we want to spend every year? Um, so that's the first thing. Secondly, when you say infrastructure, I say we're talking about bridge. They're not crumbling, um, but they're talking about like retrofitting buildings to, you know, green energy or, you know, whatever. Now, I don't want my tax dollar going to retrofit buildings that are perfectly fine that use natural gas or whatever to take, you know, solar energy. I don't want to do that. And that to me is not necessary infrastructure. And I think if you really broke it down for the American people, there would be a lot of debate. And of course, these bills are always larded up with like union bailouts. You know, and, and other things of that nature. So people don't really understand what's in them. And that's that's, I think, the first problem. The media is here to supposedly here to inform us. But that's not happening. We're speaking to David Harsani. He is a, a senior writer at National Review dot com. And, and David, when when we were looking at the uh, Biden administration, when when conservatives were trying to figure out how this back during the election, how this was going to shake out, people would bring up, well, they'd, they'd say, at least it wouldn't be a Bernie administration because Bernie is, whether openly or not, effectively a believer in MMT, modern monetary theory, which is in shorthand, you spend whatever money as the government you want to spend on whatever you want to spend it on. And then you just deal with whatever happened. Like if there's inflation, you just deal with it. That's really the basis of the theory. And and that was that was a, for some people a troubling thought. They, oh, we have Biden. How far are we from that, really? I mean, when you're talking about adding six trillion dollars to the already, what is it, four trillion dollars, give or take of of almost automatic federal spending, that feels like a lot of money. Well, we're there already. Who cares? I mean, really, once you get past a few trillion, 
it's just so abstract to people. I think we're already there. They, you know, a lot of folks think we just spend whatever we want and, you know, they'll never have to answer for it. Now, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Bernie. I think Bernie is more dangerous as a person, his ideology than Biden, who I don't think really has any kind of ideology other than what people, wherever the Democratic Party is, when wherever he is, you know, at the time. But here's the thing. It's obviously more dangerous when you have someone who is seen as a moderate of some sort trying to pass bills like this because people just make the assumption that he wouldn't want to do anything too radical, which is ridiculous because these are more radical in size and many times as sort of policy even than than perhaps any administration since FDR, maybe even more in some sense. So uh, in many ways, he's more dangerous than Bernie. And I'm not going to say he's personally more radical than a Marxist, open Marxist, but, it, you know, he might get more through. So, David, one part of this then that I do think we need to to start to address is if people don't feel like there's downside to federal spending, they're just going to be okay with this. I mean, I know ideologically conservatives, we've been trained, you know, we also think, wait a second, you know, what would Milton Friedman say? And like, what would Friedrich Hayek say? And and we go back to some of these, uh, these foundational thinkers and, and economists for what, for modern conservatism in America. But unless there's actually a pain point here, it feels like we keep going. So do you think there's a way to either explain the pain points to people or are we just waiting to see, hey, let's give it a shot and maybe things start to really crap out with the economy? Well, one of the problems, I think, is that we've had Republican presidents spending a lot of money as well. So it becomes an issue of hypocrisy for many of these Republicans. And secondly, you know, we haven't felt pain, like you say. So I think people are kind of like, you know, the, the, the concern about the deficit or debt is over overdone. I don't know how to how to change that, but at some point, I think there will be pain. It just can't go on this way. Um, and we've seen it occasionally happen in Europe already. But I think, you know, that that'll you know, at some point, people are going to have to pay for this. And I, I don't know how to convince them otherwise. I do think people get a little bit will get a little bit nervous when things are getting better and things are already better about all the spending. So we'll see how that goes. I think when you when you see Manchin and, and Cinema worried saying they're worried about spending, I think that's because probably the center of America would get start to be concerned about that much spending as well, or at least maybe that's my hope. You know, you're in DC, I'm here in New York City, and we both have these arbitrary rules about COVID that are still speaking of things getting better that are still in effect. I I, I gotta get you to just tell me what I'm sure you have some liberal neighbors and friends in D.C. because you're you're surrounded by, you know, lunatics. And and uh, as I am in New York, the, the the dancing ban at weddings. I mean, this is it's like they can't be serious, but they are serious. The same thing I'd say with New York restaurants now still have a six foot distancing rule. This is just idiotic at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I'm now following CDC instructions and not wearing a mask outside, but others aren't. Like, I'm pro-science now, you know, in their vernacular, and they're not. I don't know. They uh, People are still walking around with masks outside in the heat, double masking up. I don't even know what to say to those people. They, there is just zero scientific evidence for what they're doing. There's little scientific evidence that anyone needs to be wearing a mask once they're vaccinated. And they still do it. I feel like maybe people like to be told what to do. They like to be controlled. They like to be, I don't know. I mean, uh, Biden the other day said it was patriotic, right, to wear a mask. I just, you know, the guy doesn't think the Constitution is uh, patriotic, but he thinks a mask mask is patriotic. I don't, I don't really know how to deal with that. So 
in the end, I think that hurts them, though. I think that most Americans in most places in Florida and Texas and probably most places in California don't view the world that way. And, uh, you know, maybe there'll be a backlash to it. I hope so. Speaking of David Harsani of National Review, uh, check out his latest pieces at uh, nationalreview.com. And just on on wokeness, you know, you have uh, people finally starting to realize that they have to do something about the teaching of critical race theory in schools. You had this big win for uh, the school district in South Lake, which is a very upscale suburb of Dallas. Uh, and, and you had people who were opposed to critical race theory who won the school board elections. And so now they're going to they're going to eliminate critical race theory from the curriculum there. I mean, critical race theory. I've actually read a fair amount. I, I did my college thesis on critical race theory when I was an undergrad. So this brings me back to the old days. It's really just incoherent babble when you get down to it. I mean, it, it's all sort of self-contradictory nonsense that's meant to just create a changing power dynamic. And it's, and it's Marxism based on race instead of class. But I, I do feel like people realize if you're a conservative thinking that you can just, you know, get off the grid and homeschool and they're still coming for you. So you got to engage. Yeah. And, and part of the engagement has to be edu- I, I hate to say this word because it sounds so lefty, but educating people about it, because I saw a story today, NBC News or maybe it was Royals, I forget, said uh, uh, Republicans are opposed to anti-racism educational programs. You know, you, people have to understand that it is critical race theory is racist. At least I believe it is. And and try to let and I think parents learn when when their kids are subjected to it. But but people who aren't don't really understand how sort of despicable and un-American it really is. So I think that's part of part of what, what we need to do, because the media, again, keeps calling it anti-racist, you know, educational programs, which is just simply at the very least a lot more complicated than that. David Harsani of National Review. Everybody go check out nationalreview.com. David, great to have you, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, The spending that's been proposed in the jobs plan and the families plan, it comes into effect um, once the economy is back on track. And the spending from the rescue plan that's uh, coming into force and helping us get on track after that stimulus is spent, it's spread out quite evenly over eight to 10 years. So the boosted demand is moderate and um the federal reserve has the tools to address inflation should it arise we will monitor that very carefully we're proposing that the spending be paid for Mm -hmm. uh and i don't believe that inflation will be an issue but if it becomes an issue um we have tools to address it these are historic investments um that we need to make our economy productive and uh fair I mean, that's one of the most powerful people in the world, really, Janet Yellen. So um, somebody who has a tremendous influence on what's going on with the American economy. Not impressed, but you probably already knew that. And she's saying that I'm always curious. They say we got to spend whatever we need to spend, but it needs to be paid for. Why? Why not just spend it? You know what I mean? Well, because well, what will happen if we don't pay for it? 
Oh, you mean that you can spend too much money and bad things like the federal government can spend too much money and bad things will happen? They, they only concede it insofar as it, as it justifies tax increases that there's a bad that there's a downside to this, right? Nothing else is to be taken into account. Nothing else really matters. Um, oh, they have tools to control inflation. Good luck with that. Once inflation kicks in, it wreaks havoc on an economy, causes all kinds of problems. And remember what it was like when you had inflation in the 70s and the gas lines. And look, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but this idea that the, the Democrats can control inflation to me is just come on. Really? They believe it, though. They believe it. You know, we're doing uh, we're just doing quasi modern monetary theory. That's all. We're just we're not calling it that, but we're we're doing a, a semi modern monetary theory approach. Oh, one more thing I want to get to before we get into our roll call. We got uh, Mitt Romney was booed by the Utah GOP recently, and Senator Collins was very upset. Play five. I was appalled. Mitt Romney is an outstanding senator who serves his state and our country well. We Republicans need to remember that we are united by fundamental principles such as a belief in personal responsibility, individual freedom, opportunity, free markets, a strong national defense. Those are the principles that unite us. We are not a party uh, that is led by just one person. There are many uh, prominent upcoming younger men and women in our party who hold great promise for leading us. And I think that all of us who abide by those uh, principles should remember uh, Ronald Reagan's uh, admonition to Republicans that the person who agrees with you 70 or 80 percent of the time is your friend, not your enemy. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Susan Collins, you know, I know my, my Susan Collins and my Pelosi is very similar. But look, Mitt Romney stood with the other side. OK, Mitt Romney stood with the other side at key moments to trash, uh, you know, to trash um, Republicans for the benefit of psycho leftists. All right, Mitt Romney marched with BLM, which is a movement that while it, it tries to tries to uh, you know cloak itself in a moral superiority is based upon the lie that cops routinely kill unarmed black men and suffer no consequences for it and that this is the result of a systemic racism that nobody can really define. Mitt Romney voted to impeach the president of the United States the second impeachment trial in a year because the psycho left wouldn't accept that Donald Trump won the first election. Mitt Romney betrayed his team. He's a turncoat. So he deserves all the scorn and opprobrium that he receives. And that's where it is. All right. That's the truth. So, you know, but Susan Collins, look, we'll just take her as a vote on some Republican things when we can. But I mean, she's about as as politically wishy-washy and worthless as anybody with an R next to their name can be. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. 
producer Mark. What's going on, man? How are you? What's, what, tell us about the things. I, I didn't realize the Swedish chef started hosting uh, the Buck Sexton show. Producer Mark likes the fish and the chips and the things. That was the Swedish recipe you went with, not meatballs. Meatballs. Uh, yeah, I get I The obvious like British dish. Yeah, all right, all right. I, I messed up my uh, regional cuisines. Fair point, fair point. How was your weekend, buddy? Uh, just a lot of taking my possessions and putting it in cardboard boxes. I mean, you talk about moving. Can I just say, like, you're being sent yeah, it's the to worst. a gulag to break rocks in Siberia. I don't think it's that bad. Well, you don't think it's that bad probably because you hire somebody to pack all your things for you, if I had to take a guess. Oh, ex- ex- excuse me, sir. I will have you know that I did an intercity move with a U-Haul and nobody but my own two hands a few years ago, all right? Uh, Literally shocked. packed and moved and drove and unpacked solo. Yes, I almost had a heart attack and my back hurt for a month, yeah. but that's not the point. Legitimately shocked by that. Well, but I'm just going to point out you are a single man. If you had been living with, say, Snow Princess at the time and maybe were engaged or married, you would have crap everywhere. That's what happens when you get married. Oh. People give you stuff. Yeah, I, I had like single man moving stuff. Like uh, this, this is years ago. I had a mattress, a desk, a chair, and a TV. <laughs> I think that's all I had. Like, and and some clothes in duffel bags. That's what I had. That's why any person in a relationship will tell you that moving is the worst thing in the world. It is the worst adult responsibility. I know, I'm only 28 years old, I'm not exactly a fully grown adult to most people, but of all the adult responsibilities I've taken on since becoming one, this is the worst. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we wish you all the best, Producer Mark. Thank you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it through. I hope so. Thank you. All right. Let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. All right, let's get to it. Uh, Danny. Hey, Buck. Big fan uh, here. Fellow New Yorker living in the same neighborhood with my girlfriend and dogs. Actually met you last year while grocery shopping. All right. Thanks, Danny. That's great. I remember. Just wondering how you're dealing with the insane cultural and political climate, the blatant double standard with the media towards conservatives and the state of amnesia that plagues this country. I can't get the events of last year out of my head. Just finding hope and knowing I'm not the only one in this leftist cesspool of a city that is more than bothered by the insanity. Thanks for what you're doing. Well, Danny, great to know I'm not totally alone here in uh, Midtown slash Hell's Kitchen, aptly named, I might add, uh, because, yeah, it's it's crazy out there right now, man. All these people walk around with the masks on. The, the latest you're seeing is people saying, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? It's like are, are, when they say this, are they morons? I don't wear a stupid mask over my face. It's uncomfortable. It's constantly annoying. It's anxiety producing. It is a big deal. I really want to tell these people to go bleep themselves. Oh, it's not a big deal. Just wear it anyway. No, it is a big deal. And you lunatic lib psychopaths acted like it was going to save all of our lives if we didn't. And it didn't work. But you know, now, now they're all. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Oh my, I like wearing a mask. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's gonna be ninety degrees in New York, steamy and smelly this summer. People who are still running around with masks on outside. Total morons. It's just there's so much of that out there. I mean, Danny, as you can tell, I get 
fired up about this. Anyway, best to you and your girlfriend and the cute dog. God bless. If you see me again in the grocery store, please come over and say hi. You know, I'll, uh, I'll say, I'll, you know, get you a rotisserie chicken or something. All right, Ted. This is where I get hungry, producer Mark. So I start yeah. just throwing in random food references. You're just you know going mean? to start giving out rotisserie chickens to anyone who says hello to you at a grocery store? I mean, it's kind of a rare thing in New York. So, you know, but I mean, I could give out, you know, this is like a, <laughs> the, 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 the team buck special. Hey, you see me, baby, if we're at a grocery store, maybe I could buy you a roast chicken, you know, so. I mean, it works. I'm sure somebody would be thrilled to get a roast chicken, but still, a little yeah, odd. Hey, if someone see if someone sees me in my neighborhood and they say, "Hey, Buck, you know, I think I could probably get them a roast chicken." I'm just putting it out there. Maybe, maybe a ham sandwich, extra mayo too, because that's the kind of guy I am. I I'm would a, like I'm, to challenge anyone in New York City who finds you in a grocery store to ask you for a rotisserie chicken. I just we'll want to see, see how happens. it goes down. We'll see. if it happens, I'm gonna put it on social media. I'll tell everybody about the roast chicken incident, but. Uh, remember, you should be getting your roast chicken from moinkbox.com slash buck because that's where I make my roast chicken. So there's that. Uh, let's see here. Al. Oh, no, sorry. Ted first. Hey, Buck, my 20-year-old son is interested in your former occupation. Do you have any suggestions or recommendations? Semper Fi. Uh, yeah, Ted, I would tell him don't do it. And I know that's probably not what you'd want to hear. But I think the intelligence community is... It has gone down a very bad path. I think it's overrun with leftists. I think, well, but no, okay. You know what? Let, let me retract that for a second. If we don't put good people like your son in there, uh, it's never going to get better. So retra- let, let me retract what I said. I, I would tell him, uh, just apply online, believe it or not. That's how you can get into the intelligence community. There's an online application process. And I would just say, be prepared for showing up to a place that is so bureaucratic, it'll it'll melt your brain cells and and be prepared to be in a place that is overrun with multicultural and diversity and inclusion stuff all the time. And where the leftists who are ideologues call the shots, but they protect themselves, they cloak themselves as civil servants nonpartisan civil servants, but they're not. They're leftists. Not everyone in the CIA, not everyone in the intelligence community is a leftist. A lot of them are. And a lot of the very senior people are. So that's what I would say, Ted. That's the uh, the advice that I can give at this point. I'm sorry, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, it's awesome. And look, I didn't stay, and I didn't stay for a reason. I didn't hate it when I was there. I enjoyed my time at the CIA, all things considered. Uh, but I was also there during a very special time when there was a clear uh, there was a clear um, reason for the CIA to be doing what it did, which was the fight against Al Qaeda and the global jihadists. So that was meaning that was a meaningful mission set, a meaningful time to do that. What do you what do you think they're doing now? It's a lot of just pushing useless analysis around and a lot of really just. I'm, it's just busy work, man. I'm just telling you the truth. So much of it. Busy work. All right. Al, the reason the left can get away with raiding Rudy Giuliani's house is because the media covers for them and the GOP will fail to raise sufficient hell about it. Um, Al, that's that's true. Unfortunately, what you're saying is true. 
they will basically get away with raiding Rudy Giuliani's house. Um, they're not There's not going to be any prosecutor or, or any uh, FBI agents who are censured or fired or anything for this. They abuse their discretion for political purposes. And this is something you saw with all the Russia collusion stuff. This is it's a very important thing to remember that Democrats abuse discretion when they are in positions of power because it's very hard to hold somebody accountable when really it's just they're not acting in good faith. Essentially being a jerk when you're a prosecutor and, you know, treating people badly but within the realm of what you can do is not enough for there to be sanctions or, or consequences for those individuals. So, you know, it's it's a, a, a little bit like, well, you, you see this with, you know, it, it's up to the discretion of the, of law enforcement. Are they going to call you and and tell you to come in and surrender yourself? Or do they send, you know, a SWAT team to kick in your door at 4 a.m., guns drawn, terrify you and your wife, throw you on the floor, handcuff you, and then bring you in. It's really up to their discretion. And what we see is they use the maximum possible force and humiliation and fear that they can do within the law against their political enemies on the left. That's how they do it. And there's very little that we have as uh, a way to push back against that. Very little indeed. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, Jim, Buck, Shields High. I know you like Ron DeSantis' run in 2024. I like him a lot, too. He's doing a great job. But do you think he can get 75 million votes? I know Trump can. Maybe a Trump-DeSantis ticket. Jim, I love you, big guy, and I thank you for listening to this show. And what I'm going to say may not be something you agree with, and that's cool because I tell you what I really think. Trump won 75 million votes. He lost to Joe Biden. Okay? We need to remember that. He lost as an incumbent president to Joe Biden. Now, I, I get that we could have all this, oh, but they changed the rules, and you could tell me about your concerns about, uh, you know, the, the validity of the counts or whatever. Biden is president. Trump is not. Trump lost. Right. So so for all the you know, the, the, it, it is like we're going up to the refs after the game you know, after the Super Bowl. You can say the refs were paid off, but we haven't been able to prove it. And the other team has the Lombardi trophy. So it's a little bit like you're telling me, well, the next time around, we should run the exact same team against that other team. Well, well, he lost. And, and that's why, and I know people, you know, we, I, I think the conservatives haven't really come to grips with this yet. He lost by six million in the popular, but, you know, he lost in a half a dozen states. And I know that you could say the pandemic and a lot of things, but why would we think Trump would win the next time around? Um, and when you add into this, the post, post-election Trump was the biggest mistakes of his presidency. Post-election, meaning post-2020 election, uh, the way the media would run with the January 6th insurrection and everything against him, 
No, I think DeSantis is a far, DeSantis is younger. Look, Trump's going to be 78 years old, folks. I don't just say this about Biden. I try to be consistent. That's too old to be president. Too old. It's too old for Biden. It'd be too old for Trump. Trump can put behind DeSantis or some other candidate, maybe. I'm not I'm not wedded to DeSantis as an idea. Trump can put the apparatus behind him and we'd have something really special. And I think that's the move. I think that's the way forward. Pass the MAGA torch to the next, you know, to the next person. And preferably somebody like DeSantis who understands governance a little bit better than Trump does. Look, we're going to be honest about this. Wall didn't get built, folks. Obamacare, not fully repealed and replaced. You know, tax cuts, great. That's going away. Regulation cuts, great. They're coming, they've come back. Judges, fantastic. Again, I'm thankful for the good things that Trump did, for the movement, for the truth about the media. But I'm, I'm trying to be very clear-eyed about this because I don't want to have to live through four more years well, of what would be a Kamala administration. And that's what we get if we have the wrong candidate, the wrong decision. But that's a long way out. And uh, Al, I'm sorry, Jim, you could be right and I could be wrong. But I do think we have to remember Biden is president because he already beat Trump. We'd have to have a very compelling reason to think that a head-to-head matchup again would go our way. Otherwise, we'll have repeat surprise. Otherwise, we'll have, you know, oh, what do you mean? I thought, you know, Trump and the, you know. No, no, we have to be very honest about what happened. All right. The future of the country hangs on our honesty with that issue. All right, roll call continuing. We got Daryl. Hey, producer Mark and Buck. Trapped here in the northwestern suburbs of Chicago, the lockdown is endless, and a lot of the blame goes to the people of the state. This is nowhere more clearly illustrated than the compliant outdoor mask wearers. I go on errands weekly, and my personal barometer of how far we are from a normal life is observing the people who wear their masks from their cars into the store and from the store into their cars, I make it a point to put my mask on at the last possible moment before entering a store and to remove it immediately upon exit. From the start of the mask tyranny, I have observed other shoppers every week and it is continually dejecting to see that 95% of them do not chafe against the mask and do not strive to wear it only when necessary. No, the vast majority are masked up the whole way from car to store and back. The compliant here have become too easily accustomed to the government's yoke and they have no will to show that they have any resistance to it in any small way. That is, in blue Illinois, a a lost state of broken people. My wife and I have lived our entire lives here, but there's no fixing this lack of backbone. We're out of here as soon as we can escape, Shields High. Yeah, Daryl, I hear you. You know, you you got sheep all over the place, these leftist sheep. Oh, I listen to Fauci. I listen to the science. Yeah, Fauci's a moron. They believe because he uses a big word here or there or somewhere, you know, a diminution of the ascendancy of the case data of the PCR. Yeah, people are impressed by that stupidity. I hear you, Daryl. I think everybody should be should be cursing the masks and saying that this is, you know, as dumb as anything we've ever been forced to do. And it does bother me. I'm supposed to wear a mask on the treadmill in the gym every time I go in there. All right. 
It, this matters a lot. This isn't just like, oh, you know, what about foreign policy and what's going on with Iran? This matters right now. This matters every day. Rick, right? Actually, Rick, you know what? Let's save that one for tomorrow, Mark, because I want to get into it and we're not going to have time to finish it for today. Please do uh, pass the buck. Tell somebody about the Buck Sexton show. Share the podcast with them directly. Text them. Email them. Uh, oh, and, and also, uh, I'm speaking. If you're in New York City, the Metropolitan Republican Club, I'm speaking this Thursday at 7 p.m., the Metropolitan Republican Club in New York City. So please come listen to me. There's a event, uh, Facebook tickets and stuff. You can get it. Uh, Metropolitan Republican Club of New York. Shields high.